I would invite you to open your Bibles this evening to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Deuteronomy chapter 33, and I'll begin reading at the beginning. And read the entirety of this chapter. It is Moses lifting his hands and pronouncing the blessing of Almighty God upon the tribes of Israel prior to his death on Mount Nebo. I'll read the entire chapter, chapter 33, invite you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death, and he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand, came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob, and he was king in Jeshurun. When the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together, let Reuben live and not die, nor let his man be few. And this he said to Judah, hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and may you be a help against his enemies. And of Levi, he said, let your Thuman and Urim be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Massa, and with, you, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah. Who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law, they shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice upon your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him that they may not rise again. Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him, who shelters him all the day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. And of Joseph, he said, Blessed of the Lord is his land, with the precious things of heaven, with the dew and the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun and the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Let the blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. His glory is like a firstborn bull, and his horns like the horns of a wild ox, together with them he shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. And of Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. They shall call the peoples to the mountain. There they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, for they shall partake of the abundance of the seas and of the treasures hidden in the sand. And of Gad, he said, Blessed is he who enlarges Gad. He dwells as a lion. He tears the arm and crown on his head. He provided the first part for himself, because a lawgiver's portion was reserved there. 
He came with the heads of the people. He administered the justice of the Lord and his judgments with Israel. And of Dan, he said, Daniel is a lion's whelp, and he shall leap from Bashan. And of Naphtali, he said, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possess the west and the south. And of Asher, he said, Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. For your sandals shall be iron and bronze as your days, so shall your strength be. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to help you, and in his excellency on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. Then Israel shall dwell in safety. The fountain of Jacob alone in a land of grain and new wine, his heavens shall also drop dew. Happy are you, O Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? The shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you, and you shall tread down their high places. As far as the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, dwell with us this evening as you have promised. Lord, that you might speak, that we might hear, so that we might be like Samuel, who says with all sincerity, Speak, for your servant is listening. And so, Lord, grant to your servants wisdom, the growth and stature and favor, not only with you, but with men. We pray all this in your name. Amen. It must never be said, among the saints of God, look at what my hands have done. The book of Deuteronomy is not a keeping of the law so that in some way, by keeping the law of God, we might show him that we were worth his favor and affection. No, the Lord knows us. He knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. He knows the temptations that prevail. He knows our weaknesses. He knows of our rebellions. He knows of the secret thoughts in our hearts late at night. He knows of our fears. Our lusts, our pride, our anger, our covetousness, all of these things are known to him. We cannot hide from him, for nothing is hidden from his sight. And so we must say at the end of the day, when it comes to our standing before God, that there is nothing in our hands that we bring to the judgment seat. And the only way for that seat of judgment to be transformed to a seat of mercy is that the judge of all the earth calls us righteousness, righteous for the righteousness of another. And so when we look at the book of Deuteronomy, we modern-day evangelicals must be very careful that we do not look at law as a means whereby we garner greater affection, greater judicial standing, but instead it is the response of those who have been extraordinarily blessed by God who have seen his power at work in our midst and proclaim together as his people, surely God is good to Israel. Now the source and the fount of all of these blessings is the great benediction that God proclaims over his people. In fact, we read of that benediction, and we often, I'll often read it on Sunday mornings as the assurance of pardon. It comes from the book of Zechariah, that the Lord rejoices 
He sings. He delights over us. This is the kind of God that we serve. He is not begrudging in his mercy, or we would all be in trouble. But he is lavish in his mercy and kindness. And so as Moses prepares to die, and as Joshua has now been inaugurated as the leader of Israel and is in just a short time about to lead Israel through the Jordan as Moses did through the Red Sea on dry land, Moses pronounces upon Israel a benediction. In fact, every Lord's Day morning and evening, you hear the same benediction. It is the benediction of the priests of Israel. It comes from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. Now, I know that I say it a lot. I say it, aside from the weeks of vacation that I have and reading week every year, somewhere in the range of 92 times a year. I still forget it sometimes. I still lose my place. I still get a little nervous even when we approach the benediction. And I have all these things swirling around in my mind. And I, oh, I can't remember what comes next. God doesn't forget his benedictions. He is faithful. He is faithful not only to tell us how he will act, but he is faithful in doing the things that he says he will do. And what we find in Deuteronomy chapter 33 are the blessings of God where they come from, and how it makes the people of God unique. That's what I want to look at this evening. The first point, the blessings and where they come from. And then secondly, who is like Israel? Who is like the Lord? Let's look at the first point. The blessings and where they come from. We find it here at the beginning of this chapter. The blessings originate from God who enters into covenant with Israel At Sinai, verse 2, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. This is a poetic description of Exodus chapter 19 and following. God weds himself to Israel. And in giving himself to them, he said, here are the terms of this gracious contract. You and I will live in peace with one another. And the plan is that one day I will leave my house and I will come and dwell with you. But only when the terms of the covenant that I am establishing with you are met. And those terms were rich and deep and extensive. And so everything following Sinai is law for this reason. God wants to prepare the people and the place where they will dwell together. The land was to be holy and the people were to be holy. And if the land and the people were not holy, God could not leave his dwelling place and dwell with them in covenant peace and harmony, in peaceful fellowship. This is what the Mosaic Covenant teaches us. And so God says, all the good that you have received has been initiated by me. There is a word for this, monergism. It is a singular, gracious movement of God towards sinners. 
beloved sinners, but sinners nonetheless. And there, verse 4, Moses commanded the law, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob, and he, that is the Lord, was king in Jeshurun. Jeshurun is the poetic name for Israel. Israel is actually called three names here, really. Israel, Jacob, and Jeshurun. And all of these names are used to indicate God's been with you the whole time. God was the one who delivered Jacob, the patriarch, and named him Israel. And now God continues to work through his servant Moses, through Aaron, through the Levites, to bring about the fulfillment in the gathering of the tribes of Israel together so that they might be blessed. And that's the next section. And so in verses 6 all the way to verse 25 are the individual blessings given to the individual tribes, the distinct tribes of the nation of Israel. Now in my notes, I've got a list of all of these things. To Reuben, he was given a blessing of size and strength. To Judah, a similar blessing. Judah would be blessed with this gift of conquering the enemies of God, that God would be a voice for Judah, that his hands would be sufficient for Judah, and that Judah would be helped by God against the enemies. I think I said that already. Um, Then there's Levi. It's a lengthier one. And Levi is blessed substantially because the Lord recognizes the tribe of Levi for being faithful when other tribes were not. Levi was called to teach the terms of the covenant and the law. They were also called to offer sacrifices and to care for the house of God. It is incredibly important that the house of Levi do what they were called to do. Why? Because they were those who maintained the altar and the tabernacle. And without their ministry among the Israelites, there was no maintenance of the place where God dwelt with his people. And so God blesses their Very important labors. Now, Benjamin was the youngest of all the patriarchs. And so God says what? I will carry you between my shoulders. Right here. He's the baby. (laughs) There's a baby in every family. Benjamin was the baby. And God will carry him. Now, Joseph, you remember, earlier in the book of Genesis, was a son and a brother betrayed. Joseph suffered much, but then was raised to a very high position. And because of Joseph's faithfulness to the Lord, the family of God and the nations of men did not starve. God preserved his faithfulness to Israel and even to those who were not of Israel, life. And the Lord continues to bless the tribe of Joseph The tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. There actually wasn't a tribe of Joseph per se, but he is a stand-in for the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh here. And his strength and the horn of the tribe increases. And then of Zebulun and also Issachar. They are blessed in the going out and going in in their tents. And they shall be people called to the mountains and they shall be given the rich abundance of the seas. These are the anglers. These are the fishermen of the tribes. And they will bring forth a bounty from the sea. And then of Gad, Gad will dwell as a lion. What do you think of when you think of a lion? Powerful, mighty, fear, uh, uh, it, it's a, it evokes fear. And 
strength and royalty. God will provide for Gad this strength and power. Then there is Dan, this honorable title of a lion cub. These things are significant in the age of the Israelites. And then of Naphtali, the Lord will bless Naphtali and the tribe with fullness and great land, west and to the south. And of Asher there, the end, the most blessed of sons, let him be favored by his brothers, and he will be a blessing to them. Now, each of these tribes receives these benedictions kind of like a father would give to his children the inheritance. You get the dining room furniture. You get the grandfather clock by the entryway. You get this and you get that, and all the kids gather around. What's dad going to give? And God bestows upon these tribes gifts that were not to make them unique against the other tribes, but gifts that were to be brought together as tribes of one nation to be used together to exalt in union the name of Yahweh. And so God disperses these gifts as a sign of his delivering grace. Now, when Christ is raised from the dead, we read that he gave gifts to men. That upon the occasion of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he has lavished upon his people gifts, benedictions. And when I say benediction here, and when Moses says benediction here, it's not just God's peace be with you. It is not just a statement of God's favor. It is favor that results in something that brings about the real tangible blessing of the people of God. You and I have been given gifts, not just so we can say, you see this little plaque right here? I I took this spiritual gifts inventory test, and it says, servant. I'm a servant. No, take the plaque down and go serve. Go bless others. Maybe it's teaching, whatever it may be. I'm not a big fan of those spiritual gifts. It's more of an example. Whatever God has given you, whatever opportunities that he's granted you with, Use those things as God's blessings to build the tribes of Israel. And when I say tribes of Israel here, I mean the whole church at this point. And ultimately, the fulfillment of these blessings results in what? That as God has blessed Israel, the confession of Israel is to be, verse 26, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun. For a time, children, when your parents give you that gift you've been asking for, that thing your heart's been longing for, and you put it in a box, and you wrap it, and you put a bow around it, and you give that gift, and children, you open that gift, and you look at it, and you go, thank you. This is the problem of getting too many gifts on Christmas, right? Thank you. Thank you. And every time you open another gift, the thank you gets a little less sincere, doesn't it? The saints of God are to look at the gifts that are given to them and they are to look at the Lord and say, I can't believe you gave this to me. This is incredible. I'm a lion's cub. (laughs) 
These blessings, these rich covenantal blessings, these benedictions that only God can give. And why does God give them to Israel? What do we know of Israel? If I were the father of Israel, I'd probably still be a little bit angry with them. We'll wait how you do the next 40 years. And maybe then I'll give you something nice. You know, a probationary period. But God lavishes upon them these blessings in order to do what? So that they might be effective in their mission in the land when they get there. That in order to fulfill their covenant obligations, in order to shine the light as a city on a hill, a nation among dark nations, a nation of light and beauty and righteousness, God will give them this gift so that they are like no other nation on earth. These precious gifts. And the rightful response of those who see the gifts of God are not to disdain them, but to say of him words of worship that he is due because of what he has done for you. The only right, righteous response to God's gracious provision is worship. It is to say of him things that are true that he has revealed of himself to you and to me, to Israel. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And not only does he hold you up with his arms, but he pushes out your enemies with his arms. And because God does this, not Israel... You shall be safe. He is the one doing it all. Now, he uses Israel as an instrument, as means. But they would never have been successful. They would never have been called. They would have never known the name of God. They would never have heard yod heh vah Yahweh. Had God not revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, had Moses not come to Israel with his brother, had God not delivered Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians... And been faithful with them in the wilderness. To not leave them there to die, though they deserved it. But to now bring them this to, to this place where he says to the whole nation of Israel, Happy are you, verse 29. For you are a people saved by the Lord. In fact, this is a lot of what worship is every Sunday. It is a reminder of your true identity in Christ Jesus. It is your identity in your Redeemer that tells you who you really are. And to know that, and to have that be your primary identity, beloved of God, Jeshurun. To save the Lord, he is our help and our shield, that he wields a sword against our enemies. Perhaps it would cause us to be a little less jealous of the things of this world. In fact, this benediction of Moses is Moses' final effort to retain the hearts of the Israelites for their God. And so it leads us then to these two questions that are linked. Who is like Israel? Who is like the Lord? 
Now these blessings, these benedictions are, are poured out upon Israel. And this final, these final words of this man, this leader of Israel, is what he desires for them to remember. So they can go away from this place and the members of the tribe of Asher can say, we're going to be favored. And that favor doesn't come from us. It comes from God. Now, of course, what we learn from Israel is that soon after, after the conquest of the land of Canaan, not only do they not remove all of the nations they should have, and they exercise disobedience to the Lord. We read this in the book of Judges. But their hearts stray from the true and living God. And after this glorious benediction, what is the tendency of the hearts of men? Just think of yourself for a second. Don't look at Deuteronomy 33 and say, Come on, guys, what are you thinking? Have you sinned today? Yes, you have. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. I would imagine. (laughs) It's a safe bet. Why? When every sin that a Christian commits, one who confesses Christ, who is raised in a godly home, who comes to know Christ and is adult, and they see the salvation and the deliverance and the gifts of God, to look at all of what God has given us and say, I'm going to do that thing I know I'm not supposed to do. I'm going to lose control. I'm going to look at that thing I'm not supposed to have and I'm going to want it more than the things I do have. All of that, all of that is a small kind of rejection of all that God has said, this is enough. This is yours. This is all you need. The only way that we are able to do that is that we are puffed up with pride and conceit. Now in Deuteronomy 7, Moses, sort of still in the introductory comments of his sermons throughout the book of Deuteronomy, says this about Israel, and it is something that they quickly forgot. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. This is verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 7. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the peoples. Israel was the nation that never got picked, right, for kickball at recess. They're the scrubs. And yet God chose Israel. Why? Because they were small. Because they had no other helper. Because God wanted to loom large in the hearts of those who loved him. And he wanted to strike fear in the hearts of those who hated Israel. Look at what I can do with this little nation, God would say. You nations of earth, fear me. When Israel left Egypt, not only did they plunder the storehouses, the jewels, the food, but they took many Egyptians and other peoples from other nations with them. Why? Because Israel won. They were the conquerors. 
And as they left Egypt, these people came with them. Why? Because God proved to those people, I, Yahweh, am a God to be feared and worshipped. Now, the reason why Israel is Israel is because God chose them. And he did not choose them because they were good or grand or big or powerful. But because God, in the same way, when he chose Gideon and those 300 men who defeated that great army, made it very clear. I did it this way so that no one could say, look at what we've done. Look at what we have done. In fact, Paul puts it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. It's similar to Deuteronomy chapter 7, and I think you can spot the similarity. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me, this is Paul, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, here it is, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. However, for this reason, because I'm the chief of sinners, Paul says, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What precedes Paul's doxology? It is divine benediction and blessing. It is a redeeming benediction. The reason why Paul offers all that he is, he worships the true and living God, is he understands he was nothing. He was a persecutor of the church, and then Christ transformed him and caused him to suffer much for Christ's sake. Your testimony is not different from that. You should never say, well, at least I'm not like that guy. Because you were. And the fact that you would say that means you haven't learned something about the extraordinary mercy of God towards sinners. And so, as we contemplate the blessings of God, what we find as an aid to the success of the church that was an end, as a failure of the nation of Israel is that the benedictions of God are meant to be an end to all of our pride and vainglory. Now, the reason we know that is this. At the time of Christ's coming, Christ's great fit at the temple, when he walked into the court of Gentiles, and there was not a single Gentile in that place that was not forced to act like a Jew. The Jews had closed off the Gentile court by saying, in essence, in order to receive the blessings of God, you must become like us. And what does Christ do? He turns over the tables. Because the temple, and that outer court in particular, 
what God had planned for Israel in their blessing. This is the fulfillment of Genesis when he says to Abraham, I will bless you so that you might be a blessing to the nations. What happens when you get a good gift, children, and you take that gift and you say, no one can touch it? You know what I mean? I bought that with my own money. It's an expression of what? A cold, hard heart. And the thing that could be better enjoyed in the company of a sibling or a friend, (laughs) you've relinquished that that blessed exercise because you have said, no, it's mine. Then instead of taking the blessings of God and saying, all right, how are we then to turn to the nations and say, here is how we will conquer the nations, Israel said, my precious, I don't want anyone to touch it. Their hearts grew hard and cold for this reason. They thought that the blessings of God were deserved, that they were not of his free grace. And so they grew in pride, and they lost their love for God. And when you lose your love for God, what quickly follows? Your love for your neighbor. And so their pride and vain glory led to what? Their unfaithfulness in the mission to spread the blessings of God, tribe by tribe, to the nations of earth. Now the question for us is, what about now that Israel has failed? But they haven't. Because ultimately, the blessings that God has bestowed upon the people of Israel are fulfilled in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ is the faithful Israel. And due to his faithfulness to God, seeking the blessings of God and not of Satan, remember when he was tempted? He could have said, I'll take those blessings. They're coming in an easier way. Christ fulfills these blessings and he takes upon himself in his death and in his burial and in his resurrection not just the blessings that were declared for Israel, but on the day of his resurrection, the father looks at his son and says, you are the faithful one. Here you go. It's all yours. Every one of these things that result in the pride and the glory, and I say pride, I mean this in a good way, in the glory and the establishment of the church of Jesus Christ on earth. And what Christ has done is he turns then to those whom he has redeemed, and by his spirit, he pronounces these things upon us. And the worst thing we could ever do is say, thanks, I'll go ahead and just pocket that. But what are we to do? In the spirit of Christ Jesus, in the work of the Holy Spirit, we see ourselves as gloriously unique, a peculiar people, but not because what we have done, but because the one who rides upon the heavens has helped us. And so what are we to do? Well, remember where you came from. And kids, if you have the privilege of growing up in a Christian home, let your parents who have feet of clay remind you of where they came from. 
you go back far enough in the generations of men, especially if you're a Gentile, what were we? Prior to the Lord finding us, what were we? And even you covenant children who grew up in Christian homes who may have never known a day where you did not love and honor God, that's a gift. It's a gift. And so remember, maybe not just what you are, you have come from, but what you would be if God had not shown you favor. Because the cure to pride is what? Humble thanksgiving and reliance upon God's grace. And so then the heart then of the law and the keeping of the law, which is summarized, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself is to first do what? Count the blessings of God poured out upon you by his favor and grace. Do you wish to have a transformed heart? Then read of God's faithfulness to his people. And there is no greater gift, there is no greater blessing than the one who has fulfilled the terms of the covenant for us. For in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, we can truly say that the one who rides upon the heavens is our help. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our-